Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Growing up in a home with two other brothers, it's needless to say my parents had to do whatever they could to keep us in line. When we were younger, we were constantly told that if we didn't behave, the man would come and get us. Who or what this man was, was a mystery to me at that age. Combo that with my irrational fear of being kidnapped as a child, due to the fact that in 1989, at the tender age of six, I watched a made-for-TV miniseries called I Know My First Name Is Steven. Based on the true story about Steven Stainer, a boy who was kidnapped by actual human garbage, Kenneth Parnell, a convicted sex offender and child rapist. Seven years after being taken by Kenneth, this walking filth struck again by kidnapping five-year-old Timothy White. It was then that the now 14-year-old Stephen decided that he didn't want to see another boy go through what he did, and he took Timothy and escaped. He brought Timmy to the police, and when he did, he was questioned and pressed until he confessed that he was the victim of a kidnapping by his dad, Parnell. Stephen later testified in court on Timmy's behalf, and then later in a hearing for accusations of the crimes committed against himself. After a painful testimony, Parnell only received 20 months in prison for the kidnapping and sexual abuse of Stephen. Luckily for the human race, Kenneth Parnell was arrested in 2004 at 71 years old for trying to coerce his caregiver to purchase him a child. She set up a sting with police and he was arrested shortly after. He told police that he only wanted a family. He died in prison a few months later. Good riddance. So you can see, after that, why the threat of the man was such a scare for me as a kid. As I grew up, I realized that was just my mother's way of making sure her babies never left the house. And she almost got her wish, because I didn't move out until I was 32. The man, as he was known in my house, is just a variation of the boogeyman, who has existed in folklore around the world for centuries. The boogeyman, or bogeyman, bogey monster, is a creature in English folklore that is often told to scare misbehaving children. The boogeyman is most easily divided into three categories. The kind that punishes misbehaved children, the kind that are more violence-prone, and the kind that protects the innocent. And they all relate in the same way, being that they all exist 
to teach young children lessons. The large majority of Boogeyman stories are there just to frighten children with punishments, and not actually inflict much damage. The more vicious Boogeyman is said to steal children at night, and even eat them. This creature's appearance varies from person to person, as it has no definite appearance, and it's simply the embodiment of terror. Although usually depicted as a masculine entity, it can be female. While the description of the Boogeyman differs on a cultural level, there are often many shared similarities to the creature. Many of the boogeymen are depicted as having claws, talons, or sharp teeth. Along with that, the majority of them are of the spirit variety, while the minority are demons, witches, and other mythical creatures. Some are even described as having certain animal features, such as horns, hooves, and bug-like appearances. Gross. Because of such a global impact, it makes it difficult to find the original source of the legends. The first reference to the boogeyman would be considered the hobgoblins, described in England in the 1500s. Many believed that they were made to torment humans, and while some only played simple pranks, others were more foul in nature. In the United States, depending on what part of the country you reside in, your boogeyman may not be similar to my boogeyman. The boogeyman may be called Boogerman or Booger Monster, as it's called in the rural areas of the American South. He was most often used to keep young children from playing outside past dark and wandering off into the forest. The Native Americans, during the Corn Festival, Young Cherokee males wearing caricature masks would make fun of politicians, frighten children into being good, and shake their masks at young women and chase them around. Male participants in this booger dance were referred to as the boogermen. In some Midwestern states, the boogeyman scratches at the window of children who refuse to go to sleep. In eastern Iowa, he's called the cornstalker. In the Pacific Northwest, he may manifest as a green fog. In other places, he hides and appears from under the bed or in the closet and tickles children when they go to sleep at night. While in others, he's a tall figure in a black hooded cloak who puts children in his sack. It is said that a wart can be transmitted to someone by the boogeyman if he touches you when you're asleep. Bloody Bones, also known as Rawhead or Tommy Rawhead, is a boogeyman of the American South. Rawhead and Bloody Bones are sometimes regarded as two individual creatures or two separate parts of the same monster. One is a bare skull that bites its victims, and its companion is a dancing headless skeleton. The Bloody Bones tales originated in Britain. The long black being is a ghost of Choctaw mythology, described as a tall, spindly humanoid that can slither like a snake or become a shadow. It may frighten children from staying out too late, and it can be witch hunters. Chubblewalk, please excuse my pronunciation, as these dialects are difficult and I'm an idiot is a dangerous bird spirit of Wabanaki folklore, used in stories to scare children into obeying their parents. Chebelwak has an unearthly cry and resembles a large diving owl, with only its head and talons visible. Similar monsters called Stinkini and Big Owl were found in both Seminole and Apache mythologies, respectively. In South America, as well as in many Latin countries, there is the Sack Man, who carries off misbehaving children in his sack. South America also has the stories of El Coco. El Coco, also El Cuco, or Cucuy, sometimes called El Bolo, is a monster common to many Spanish-speaking countries. There is a tale that originated in the 17th century and has evolved over the years, but still retains its original meaning. El Coco received that name because of the hairy brown face, and with the eyes and mouth the only things visible, it reminded Portuguese sailors of the three indentations on coconut shells. There is really no general description of the Kukui, as far as facial or body descriptions, 
but it stated that this shape-shifting being is extremely horrible to look at. The Coco is variously described as a shapeless figure, sometimes a hairy monster that hides in closets or under beds, and eats children that misbehave when they're told to go to bed. In Spain, parents will sing lullabies or tell rhymes to children, warning them that if they don't go to sleep, El Coco will come to get them. Latin America also has El Coco, although its folklore is usually quite different, commonly mixed with the native beliefs, and because of cultural context, sometimes more related to the boogeyman of the United States. Among Mexican-Americans, El Cucuy is portrayed as an evil monster that hides under children's beds at night and kidnaps them or eats their fat when they do not obey his or her parents to go to sleep when it's time to do so. However, the Spanish-American boogeyman does not resemble the shapeless or hairy monster of Spain. Social scientist professor Manuel Mirando says popular legend describes El Cucuy as a small humanoid with glowing red eyes that hides in closets and under beds. Some lore has him as a kid who was once the victim of violence, and now he's alive, but he's not, Murado said, citing Xavier Garza's 2004 book, Creepy Creatures and Other Cuckoos. In many legends, El Coco has a shape-shifting ability and can look like whatever it wants to. El Coco is also very popular from the romantic paintings by the Spanish painter Francisco José de Goya, who painted the picture Quevien El Coco, which describes to as Here Comes the Coco, in 1799. It portrays a monster of a shadowed humanoid. This famous work became an inspiration for hundreds of artists in Spain and Portugal, who created a considerable number of poems, songs, and paintings from the 17th century until now about this monster. Even nowadays, parents in Latin America tend to scare their children by telling them if they misbehave, Coco will come and take them away. Parents also sing lullabies and say rhymes related to Coco which warn children that they must obey their parents if they don't want Coco to eat them. After centuries, what remains a reason why people are afraid of Coco is not its appearance, but the legend that it is a child eater and a kidnapper. Coco is so famous that it is impossible to mention all the festivals and events where it appears these days. Coco is also recognized as a common motif in modern popular culture. For instance, the American guitarist John Lowry composed a track inspired by Coco, in 2014, and the American comedian George Lopez mentioned the monster in his two specials. The producers of the TV series Grimm decided to dedicate an entire episode to Coco in 2013. He is also the main antagonist in Stephen King's novel, The Outsider. From the pages of the Yukon Gazette, July 11, 2015. Child's nightmare about man with light outside his window turned out to be real. For three days, a three-year-old boy had been saying there was a man with a light outside of his window at night. But his parents assumed the man was just a figment of the boy's imagination. I thought obviously he's just had a bad dream, said his mother, Melissa Vasquez. On June 26th, he woke them again. At around 5.30 in the morning, he let out an absolutely gut-wrenching scream from his room, Vasquez says. I knew something wasn't right. Her son led his father outside at their Carter County home north of Lake Murray where they found footprints in the dewy grass and their gate wide open. The family called police and spent the next day exploring security options. CCTV was too costly, so the couple used an old smartphone to download an app called Salient Eye, which overrides the phone's camera to capture images whenever it senses motion, and then emails the images to the owner. That night, the couple rigged up the phone to their garage window opposite the house, sent their son to his grandmother's, and then hunkered down in the living room for an all-night stakeout. 
They left the porch light on, as they doubted the phone's camera could capture anything in the dark, and half expected the light would deter their nightly visitor. But at about 4.40 a.m., stop-motion photos from the app began flooding into Vasquez's email, showing the family someone was outside at that moment, reaching over their porch. It gave me the shock of a lifetime because, even though I was waiting for him, I wasn't expecting to see him, she said. She called police, who appeared shortly after in her garden, with a dog, and images still being live-streamed into her phone. Indoors, she and her husband watched the drama unfold as police popped in and out of her house to check the footage. We were sitting in the house watching it all through the app. It was amazing, Vasquez said. I was talking to the police saying, okay, someone's just run across our backyard, and then telling them, oh, I'm sorry, it's just your policeman. Senior Sergeant Anita Dixon said a 15-year-old who was pretty well known to the police in the area had been the culprit. He had a rap sheet of petty theft and B&Es. This incident was able to be sorted out very quickly thanks to the excellent information supplied by the family and the police working together quickly with the help of the mobile phone app. There has not been any other similar incidents in the Lake Murray area, Dixon said. However, Vasquez said there were elderly people in the neighborhood who told her of noises in the night and of garden items going missing. I hope this has brought them a little peace of mind. From the pages of the Texas Spur, October 4th, 2006. On an evening drive home through the small Texas town of Dickens, college student Jamie Antonio spotted something that causes one to wonder if the stories about El Cucuy might have a grain of truth behind them. According to her testimonial, Miss Antonio was driving home alone when she spotted a goblin-like creature crouched on top of a fence post outside of town. She described the thing as being about three feet tall, with a sloping round head like an owl, large slanted eyes, and a tiny nose and mouth. The creature's peach-colored skin was wrinkled and looked similar to that of a hairless cat, and it appeared to have short stubby arms with flaps of hanging skin resembling malformed wings. Its feet resembled talons. As the woman watched in abject terror, the bizarre being hopped off its perch and began scrambling around on the pavement in front of her car. This was understandably more than she could bear, and the young woman sped home with tears streaming down her face. She was apparently in a state of hysterics when she burst through the door and informed her mother about the encounter. Local police were notified, and the area reported was surveyed, but no creature was found. The fence post that Miss Antonio reported as the beast's perch was found to have deep grooves carved into the top of it, with feathers and gore of a mangled chicken corpse sitting at its foot. In an even more bizarre twist to this story, on the same evening of Jamie Antonio's ordeal, a gentleman from nearby Dickens Springs called police to report that he had heard ungodly noises emanating from the garbage dumpster behind Dickens County rest stop on US-82 as he was getting ready to end his shift. He watched in amazement as he put it to police when they arrived, a little hairy vato emerged from the opening and shuffled away on two legs. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. 
What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Austin, Texas. In the upscale neighborhood of Barton Creek, Rebecca King was a successful 41-year-old woman. Successful might be an understatement. The woman was a shark. After she graduated college, she dipped her toes into the corporate marketing world. And after a few years, she found herself in a high-profile role for the marketing firm in New York City. It was during her time spent in New York where she developed her love for vintage clothing, and back in the late 2000s, the market for such items wasn't the hotbed it is now. On a business trip to Los Angeles, she had a layover in Austin, Texas, and it was that short visit is when she fell in love with the city, and she knew she had to come back. At that time, Austin was a shadow of the trendy place it would become, but like all sharks, she smelt blood in the water. Upon her return to New York, Rebecca put in her two weeks' notice, emptied her savings, and cashed in her 401k, and headed west. Headed south? She head out southwest and arrived in Austin as a now resident of the city she fell in love with. But she had a plan. She was going to open up the premier vintage clothing and high-end consignment shop. Later that year, she opened up her first second-hand rose boutique and consignment. In just over a decade, second-hand rose has grown from a one shop in downtown Austin, which now operates in all three storefronts on the street, and has the three floors of the building connected to the first store that serve as their corporate offices. But there are over a dozen shops spread out along the United States, and their first international location opening up in London by the end of the summer. Their online presence is also unmatched. Rebecca, using all of her skills and know-how she acquired during her marketing days, hit when the iron was hot. For lack of a better term, she was making social media her bitch. She has 104 employees under her, and the hashtag, secondhandrose, all one word, trends on Twitter at least once a week, from posts from whatever celebrity or athlete was caught in one of her shops or wearing something they purchased from her. Needless to say, Rebecca has become a very busy woman. Most people in her situation would have a team of people working for them to help them manage their day-to-day, but not Rebecca. On top of being a social media genius, she's also very tech-savvy. She uses the countless Google and Amazon programs to be her assistants for her. Her life is almost fully automated. In her home, her voice controls every aspect of her day-to-day. From the moment her alarm wakes her up at 4.49 a.m., the time that she's been waking up daily since college, she attributes it as a good luck charm. At that moment, her shower turns on, and the lights from her bedroom leading to the shower begin to slowly glow. From the bathroom to her home gym, her Alexa reads her any emails she may have gotten while she slept. As soon as she opens the doors to her gym, the TVs turn on with all the major news and finance channels playing. Muted, of course, because her stereo system is playing that day's workout hits while she completes her hour-long high-intensity circuit. Today, it was a nice mix of 90s and early 2000s boy bands. After her workout, it's back to the shower. 
As soon as the shower starts a second time, that's when the coffee begins to brew, and her Tespo machine dispenses her liquid vitamins into a small shot-sized cup as her smart-serve blending machine gets to work on her breakfast smoothie. After she's dressed and makes her way to her garage, her Alexa opens a garage door and starts her Tesla. The most she does herself is pull out of the neighborhood. She has Alexa close the garage, lock the doors, and activate the security system. As soon as she's on the highway, her Tesla takes the wheel and she answers and sends emails. Her social life is an entirely different story. And it's a pretty short one at that. She doesn't have one. Being so career-focused, she didn't leave herself time for friends or any kind of meaningful relationships. She also alienated family. She hasn't spoken to her parents or brother in eight years. Right after they came to visit her for the holidays, and she spent the entire time working and hunting down new items for her shops through her contacts. They had Christmas dinner amongst themselves at her house while she stayed at the office. Her last romantic relationship was back in college. Sure, she's had flings here and there, but nothing of any substance. Hey, listen, that's fine for some people. You know, whatever makes you happy. Sometimes cucumbers taste better pickled. She's also developed the nickname Cruella amongst her employees. Her in-store staff, particularly the ones at the flagship store there in Austin, have an extremely high turnover rate. There have been rumors that people at other shops have been fired for making eye contact with her when she makes her quarterly visits. On one night after working late, she was again the last one leaving the office at around 9.30 p.m. She had an odd feeling of being watched as she made her way from the office door to her car. Giving one last glance up to the office window, she noticed that the light was on, even though she closed it on the way out. No big deal. She's been putting in a lot of hours. Perhaps she forgot. She picked up her phone and opened up her Alexa app. Alexa, turn off the office lights. Alexa responded in that familiar way, asking her own robotic question. You want me to turn off the office lights, right? Rebecca responded with yes, and watched the lights turn off. The rest of the evening went by the numbers. Rebecca arrived home, pulled into her garage, and had Alexa activate the home security system, and went about her normal after-work ritual. After a hot, hot shower, she settled in on the couch with a cup of tea, and put on some soft jazz music to unwind a bit from her day. That's when she got the notification from Alexa. Motion detected at your front door. Curious to this, because not only was her house the only one on the end of a dead-end street, but it was also fully gated. Sure, a fox or a raccoon could get in no problem, but they weren't large enough to set off the motion sensors her camera sensitivity was set to. Alexa, show me the front door, she said. Picking up her phone, the display showed the walkway to her door, as empty as it was when she got home. And with that, her phone's screen turned black. And the empty battery logo flashed briefly on the screen before it was totally dead. She didn't charge her phone all day, something she did often. In fact, that was usually her cue to go to bed. Once the music from her phone that was connected via Bluetooth to the home sound system cut out, it was time to hit the hay. As she made her way through her kitchen to her bedroom, the Echo Show sitting on the counter's display lit up with another notification. Motion detected at the side. Alexa, show me the side, she said almost instantly. Nothing. No motion, no animal, no anything. Alexa, show me the back, she said, now wanting to do a full search of the ground from the safety of her house. Alexa, turn on the outside lights. The display of the backyard flashed quickly as the camera switched from night vision to normal operating mode. Backyard was empty. She could see the pool water rippling from the filters, but that was it as far as movement was concerned. Alexa, show me the other side. She was cut off by the end by a notification. Person detected at the driveway. Alexa, show me the driveway, she said in a hurried voice. The display flicked over and... 
Nothing. Her eyes flicked back and forth over the display. Panic was starting to creep up on her. It has to be an animal, she thought to herself. Maybe she forgot to close the gate behind her and a deer got in. As she squinted at the screen to see if maybe she could see if the gate was open or closed from the driveway display, it was once she saw it. All the way in the back of the camera view, almost out of range. The shape of a person, standing very still in the back corner of the camera's view. She pressed the green talk button on the screen of her Echo Show, as well as the unmute button so she could listen to the outside. Hello? You're trespassing on private property. If you don't leave now, I'm calling the police. With that, the shape moved forward started coming towards the camera slowly. It stopped at the foot of the driveway, with only its legs illuminated with the glow of the outside security lights barely hitting them. She said again, This is private property. I'm not giving you another warning. I'm calling the police. As she picked up her phone is when she remembered it was dead. No matter. With her eyes locked on the screen and the person just standing like a statue at the end of the driveway, she said, Alexa, call 911. Just before the screen froze and the wavy line appeared mid-screen to signify that Alexa was listening to your command, the shape looked like it darted to his right. Alexa responded with, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble understanding you right now. Followed by an immediate, motion detected at the front door. Now, full-blown panic is setting in. After the command to call the police cleared and the screen returned to the view of the driveway, she could see that the shape was gone. Alexa, call 911. I'm sorry. I'm having trouble understanding you right now. Alexa, show me the front door. The display flashed again, and the front door camera was in view. And so was the person. Walking up her front walk. She got a good look at him now. Tall and thin, wearing tattered blue jeans and a black hoodie. The hood was up, and she could barely make out his thin, pointy face. It was the eyes that frightened her the most. Huge. Like owl's eyes. She was in full-blown terror now. Barely able to keep a thought in her head. Pacing back and forth frantically in front of the display, an idea dawned on her. Did I lock the door? Alexa? She said apprehensively. Lock the front door. I'm sorry. I don't know that one. You don't know that one, she thought. You bitch, you do that for me every day. Alexa! She shouted. Lock the front door. Same response. The man was almost at the steps now. She had a hardline phone up in the bedroom this way in case of an emergency. She could be reached while she was sleeping. And it had to be an absolute emergency, because she slept with her cell phone on Do Not Disturb, and her colleagues and employees knew this. She darted for the stairs, passing the windows that looked out to the front walkway. Seeing the man with her own eyes almost turned her legs to jelly. Her echo show announcing, in almost stereo because of the location of them all over the house, motion detected at the front door. When she reached her bedroom, she slammed the door behind her and locked it. She then scrambles across the bed for the phone. She reaches for it and picks it up very quickly, slamming it against her ear. No dial tone. Her heart sunk. Motion detected at the front door. Hot, but then she remembered. It's cordless. You have to turn it on. Fear had absolutely almost wiped her memory of this minor detail. As she turned on the receiver, her ears were met with the sound of a dial tone. Just as the familiar chime of a security system beeping with the sound of an open door. Sitting on her bed, tears streaming down her face, shaking, the sound of feet coming up the stairs, her entire life flashed before her eyes. She laid her thumb on the power button and hit it again, cutting off the dial tone. Even if she called police, they would never make it in time. Maybe this is what she deserved, she thought. With that, an ear-splitting alarm blared. The security system. The 30-second timer to shut the alarm once the door was open activated. 
She heard a piercing screech from the other side of the door and hurried footsteps running down the stairs. She brought her hands up to her ears, clutching the phone to the side of her head, trying to block out the sound. The phone in her hand started to ring. She pressed the receiver button and a voice on the other side said, Ally Security calling. Can you give us your password? She slowly said to them, 1119 Elm Avenue, the address of her childhood home. The voice then asked, Do you need police or paramedics, Miss King? As Alexa said, motion detected at the front door. During my research of this topic, I had an idea creep into my head. You see, whether it's the man, El Coco, or the boogeyman, all of them have the same thing in common. I believe it's what they eat. No, it's not children, or your precious little feetsies dangling off the bed while you sleep. It's the one thing that there's an abundance of in this world. Fear. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Music by Kevin MacLeod. 